Hey Trailblazers, it's Jesse, and it's time for another episode of Trailblazing in Agriculture, a podcast for anyone interested in hearing the stories of the agriculture industry's pioneers and innovators. Today, you're in for a special treat as we welcome two special guests to the podcast, Tom and Laura Field. Tom currently serves as director of the Angler Agribusiness Entrepreneurship Program at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Laura is also very engaged with the Angler students while also serving as legislative coordinator for the Nebraska Department of Agriculture. Together, Tom and Laura make a great team, investing in the lives of the Angler students while also balancing the various aspects of their careers and family. While life has taken Tom and Laura on an interesting journey, they say they have been fortunate to be at the right place at the right time when doors open to new opportunities. In today's episode, Tom and Laura share about growing up on their family cattle operations and how that was a pivotal time in their lives. They talk about their career experiences and the valuable lessons they have learned along the way, and they provide insight into how they keep everything in balance. Tom and Laura are passionate about agriculture and are committed to serving young people and I am thrilled to share their story on this episode of Trailblazing in Agriculture. Well, Tom and Laura, thank you so much for joining me for the podcast today. I'm excited to visit with both of you and get started here. Thank you. As we get started, can you each take some time and tell me a little bit about yourself and your background? I always consider myself an agriculture person. Um, I grew up as a sixth generation member of a seed stock cattle operation on the Texas Gulf Coast. Um, my folks have been, uh, my family's been in the ranching business for over, well over a hundred years down there and grew up very involved in FFA, showed cattle, always knew that I wanted agriculture to be a big part of my life. So I uh, went to, to college. I have an animal science and ag education degree from Texas Tech University, very proud Red Raider and a master's in agriculture from Colorado State University, where I was fortunate to get to study a little bit more specifically about the cattle industry. And um, I know we may talk about this down the road too, but I kind of accidentally happened into public policy, but have really enjoyed being able to stay engaged and involved in in agriculture, specifically in public policy for about the last 20 years. Um, I'm a very proud, I've got two sisters and a brother. Tom and I together have five kids. We have our, our little set of twins that are nine years old and our fourth graders. And so I consider being mo- a mom a pretty important part of my life and uh, always tell people that I'm generally trying to find balance between work and home and all the other things that come with it. So That's great. Tom, I'll let you jump in next and then we'll follow up on some of that. Laura, thank you. So I grew up in um, Western Colorado. Um, Our family has been um, ranching in Colorado since just a year or two after the conclusion of the Civil War. Um, So we've been there a long time. Um, Started in Grand County, ended up in Gunnison County. Um, Had a great growing up. I mean, a chance to grow up in a community that was very ranching oriented, also very education oriented. Family has been the seed stock cattle business, but predominantly over time morphed into the commercial cow calf sector, which is what we do today. I've stayed involved with that ranch um, throughout the majority of my life. I'm a co-owner with my two brothers uh, and our families in in that uh, space today. Um, Really fortunate. I, I, grew up with parents with different 
thoughts about what was most important. My dad thought hard work and staying focused on the ranch was the most important thing. And my mother thought the most important thing was reading and having experiences outside the ranch. And so fortunately, they were able to give me the best of both those things, which made a massive difference. Um, you know, I'm st- I, I, there's no straight line to what I do today. Uh, I think anybody who pursues things that are just interesting and they let their curiosity get the best of them, they tend to have these sort of tortured zigzag up, down, fall down, back up sort of lives. And I think that would pretty much describe mine. But, um, you know, just in, in, in the big picture, I've always been very, very thankful to have had a career in agriculture in, in a lot of different venues, association work, uh, university research work, education, practicality of production ag. So all in all, I think I've always thought about myself as somebody who was mostly an agriculturalist who just happened to do a bunch of other really interesting things. So you both talked about your family operations and growing up on those operations. Tom, you you're, you mentioned that you're still in business with the family operation today. Can you talk a little bit about that operation and, and what that involvement kind of looks like? Obviously, you're in Nebraska and the operations in Colorado. When my dad passed away, um, fortunately, we'd done a little bit of preparation and, and we had a we had a reasonable succession plan and a state plan put together. So we were able to transition through that reasonably well. Um, but it, it was it was clear, I, you know, I got started in the first ag loan I took out was in the 1980s, um, early in the 1980s. And if I remember right, the interest rate I paid was 17%. So right in the middle of the farm crisis, the ugly 80s. Um, so but it became apparent after a period of time that really the best way for the ranch to thrive was it was going to require that part of us actually lived off ranch and pursued alternative careers and that there'd be this sort of generation skip kind of approach, which has worked reasonably well. We've had a, we've been really fortunate in a lifetime throughout the, my life. Uh, my dad always had good help, uh, but he had had a guy that would work with him for a pretty long period of time that was really the operational guy on a ranch. And he was willing to stick with my two brothers and I, which hopefully he doesn't regret. And he's the key to our day-to-day success. Uh, we split responsibilities amongst the three of us. Uh, my brother Mike's a lifetime banker and, and is really the right guy to, to manage sort of the financial side of our business. I handle a lot of the genetics and putting the data together and keeping track of, of really what's going on on the production side. Um, and so it, it works out pretty well. Um, but you know, now we're in that place. We're trying to figure out the next generation, what they really want. And, and, and frankly, you know, trying to figure out is, is a long-term, does it make sense to, to stay in a region that's so dominated by recreation? Um, can we really functionally manage a ranch in, a, in an area that, that progressively is less and less, uh, oriented to what it is that we do? So, um, like many families in the in the country, I think we're trying to figure out what the next step is. Yeah, and I would say certainly in Colorado, with all that uh, went on this year with with the legislation and and some of the things that they were trying to get through, that is a is a bigger question as well. Yeah, when I when I go back to my home state, I can't quite figure out where my state went. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Tom, how did your involvement in the operation in the early years and growing up there really impact your future and, and the, the direction that your career has taken? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I was really lucky. And, and I think, you know, Laura's background as well, you know, pretty entrepreneurial families um, through time. Um, and I, I was fortunate, my, my, the, the ranching side of our business there, my grandfather had been a very entrepreneurial guy. Uh, my mom's mother was a, in, incredible entrepreneurial person. My mom, as it turned out, was an entrepreneur, started a, a children's store at one, at, at one point and, and ran that until she was nearly 80 years old. Um, so I think being surrounded by that entrepreneurial spirit was really important. Um, we had, my dad was good at getting good people. And so I was influenced a lot by cowboys and ranch managers and business partners in the seed stock business. And and my dad was a taskmaster. I mean, he was a great guy, but like it was get yourself up in the morning and get to work because that's how we made the thing fit together. But I grew up loving purebred cattle and 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 really liking cattle a lot. Um, got to ride really good horses. That was a super blessing. I mean, I, I was always, you know, our whole family, we were always mounted. My dad was a great horseman. And I don't know, I think all of that, like that blue collar thing and that deep respect for people, land, livestock, community, um, it, it's just it's a powerful thing. And that's, I think, you know, when you look at, at the kind of impact Laura's family's had in their community, I think we kind of were raised in the same sort of vein that you give back and that's the, that's the critical piece. Yeah, Laura, do you want to touch a little bit too on your family's operation and, and what that involvement looks like and how that really has impacted your career as well? Sure. I, from, from my earliest memories, I, I, I think about being on the ranch and being around livestock, um, especially cattle. My, my parents lived in town. In fact, when I was just after I was born, I was the second of our family and my mom told my dad, they lived on the ranch and my mom said, we've got to move to town. We need a bigger house. And, um, my parents still live in town, which is sort of an interesting thing. They, they keep their space, um, going to the ranch every day, but, but we, we grew up in town and we have such an interesting story. My ancestors came, landed in Texas and, and settled there to raise cattle. My dad's dad, who ended up in Texas, he was born in Tennessee, but ended up there um, to go to college to actually become a preacher. And he met my grandmother at church and it was her family who had the ranch. And both of them, hugely supportive of each other, went on to, to go through the ranching lifestyle together. My dad always knew that's what he wanted to do. So he came back home from college and moved back in with my grandparents until he met my mom and they raised us there. I grew up, you know, we showed cattle. I was very involved in FFA and, and did a lot of other stuff there in the community left for college. I think assuming I would probably end up back there, which is not what happened, but my brother, who's the youngest of our sibling crew and his, his family are there on the ranch and they run kind of the day-to-day -day operations with my dad. I'm very fortunate that, you know, we, we get to know what they're doing. They talk about it. We go home as much as we can and get to see them. But really, we're we're somewhat hands off from the operational side. But I'm so fortunate that and feel very blessed that my my brother made the choice to go back there and to be to be part of that operation. My parents were very 
very strong about our academic careers. We all went to college. They wanted us all to go off and go away from home and make our, make our choices, see the world a little bit, and then make our decisions from there. I'm the only one of my siblings who doesn't live in Texas. My, my sisters both live kind of close to the ranch. And so I feel like I'm always there kind of from afar, but certainly have always made it clear to my brother that I support him and, and want him to keep going in that. And so I think, like I said, early on, I knew I wanted to be an agriculture science major of some sort. I wanted to, to further my education in that space. And so I feel similar to what Tom said, I just feel very fortunate to have been able to grow up in that way and to have had the experiences, you know, I don't, I don't ever remember being told there was something I couldn't do or try. And um, I just feel really lucky that my, my parents and my grandparents had those opportunities available. My mom's family also ranched. And so that was nice to have it kind of on both sides. And so I just, I feel really lucky to have had those chances. Well, certainly no question that you both have strong ties and foundations in agriculture and and the upbringing that you had um, and how that has set you up for success in what you're doing today. And I'm excited to dive into some of that here. Laura, I think I'll start with you. Um, Obviously, as you said, you grew up in Texas and then ended up in Colorado. Prior to moving to Nebraska, then you were a partner in a Denver-based lobbying firm, Williams & Locke where you represented a broad base of business clients. Can you talk about uh, that firm and what it was like to be a lobbyist in Colorado? Yes, and it's such an interesting thing to think about that. So I started doing that back in 2002, which seems like yesterday, but was a long time ago. So it so much has changed in Colorado, but I am forever grateful for the opportunities that I had. When I was in graduate school at Colorado State, I had the opportunity to be an intern for the Colorado Cattlemen. And I was their Dave and Lucille Rice legislative intern, which I think I was the maybe third or fourth intern they had in that program. Dave Rice was a longtime lobbyist for the Colorado Cattlemen. In fact, he's the only lobbyist who has a plaque in his honor in the halls of the Colorado State Capitol. Just a, a brilliant man. I never got to meet Dave, but my mentor who went on to be my business partner, Danny Williams, equally revered in the state of Colorado. Um, I did my internship, enjoyed every moment of learning from Danny and learning from the Colorado cattlemen and went back to school to finish and actually took another job and was really sort of waffling around into what I wanted to do. And Danny called me one day and said, Hey, my partner, longtime partners retiring and um, he, he literally said to me, what do you make in your current job? And I said, well, here's what I make. And he said, okay, I'll pay you that if you'll come work for me. Little did I know there was going to be some tax ramifications I have to think about, but um, it was the best decision I made. I don't know if I thought it would turn into tenure, a 10-year partnership. And I always wonder, had we not moved to Nebraska, um, Danny has since retired, but he just retired in the last couple of years. Um, what that would have turned into. We represented a broad base of business clients, including the Colorado Cattlemen, the Colorado Wool Growers, Colorado Horse Council. Um, and But we also represented some other clients in the natural resources space, oil and gas, water, um, builders and contractors. We were very focused on sort of a business portfolio, but just a fascinating thing for me at the point in time when I did that uh, internship and got into that field, I really my thought process was I wanted to go to law school. I was really thinking about what would it be like to be an attorney and to kind of practice in that area, um, which I did not end up 
going on to law school, but um, it was just such a, an eye-opening experience. Danny was a former state representative from Colorado, so he had great relationships. Um, he taught me he taught me lessons that to this day I tell people, you know, you've got to be able to tell your story while you're walking down the stairs. You've got to be quick. You've got to be brief. You've got to be succinct. Um, you can never lie to anybody. They need to know that they can trust you. And I think about that in my interactions even still today. And so the climate in Colorado has really changed. Not having been a Colorado native, I feel like I came into my first couple years of lobbying there really asking more questions than I probably answered for people, but really worked hard to build relationships with senators and representatives um, to, to work on that stuff. And really learning early on with, you know, the population was shifting 20 years ago in Colorado, but is even more dramatic now that we had to stick together. Agriculture really needed to speak with a unified voice. We needed to find out if there were things we agreed on, go forward together. If we disagreed, we probably better leave those issues alone. So we didn't go down to the Capitol and argue. And it was really a great education for me. I learned so much about water and, and livestock and land use. And, and I will say, you know, to, to this day, in fact, over the lunch hour today, I was on a, a call with Colorado Cattlemen. Tom and I continue to be members. We think there is so much value in the things that those associations do for the, the livestock producers in those states. And so I think building that part of me, my parents were longtime members of Texas Cattle Raisers. Um, so I think I grew up knowing how it was important to be part of those groups. So really just very transformational for me to spend those years working in that space. Yeah. And I would guess all that the Colorado Cattlemen's Association did to help with the initiative 16 this year probably makes you even more proud to, to be a member of that association and remain involved today. Oh, without question. And I still have a number of friends who work in Colorado. Um, you know, when I was an intern at Colorado Cattlemen, Terry Fankhauser was on the staff, but not the executive director yet, and have known and respected Terry for years. And I told everyone I knew, I was telling my friends here in Nebraska about what was going on. And, you know, my current role at the Nebraska Department of Agriculture, we were just sort of sitting thinking about the things that our, our livestock friends in Colorado were facing. And you're 100% right. We are so thankful that we have the chance to be a part of that association the things that they do to represent their members, um, that could have been such a detrimental, devastating, had such a detrimental, devastating impact on the industry that we are, we are thankful. Our, our friends and family who live in Colorado, we are always encouraging them to get involved and be involved and speak up and have their voices heard. And uh, just, yes, such an important thing to be advocating for right now. So Laura, when we look at your career, um, you know, whether it was as with your lobbying firm, the work that you did with Nebraska Cattlemen and now with the Nebraska Department of Agriculture, certainly a lot of opportunity to work on legislation and things like that. Where did your passion for advocating for agriculture and public policy come from? Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about that a little bit. I think that I have always felt like it was really important to be the one who tells your own story. Um, in fact, today, when I talk to young people, I always tell them there's never been a more important time to tell your story. And if you don't tell it, somebody else is going to tell it for you. I think I felt that way all of my childhood and growing up 
Um, you know, if you ask my dad, he would say I was born to talk that I can talk breathing in and breathing out. And so um, he would tell you that I was a natural for this because I just like to talk a lot. And I think in that and, and being able to be confident to, to tell a story, I think that I, I always knew that it was important to advocate for what you believe in. And I probably always had the perspective as a, as a younger person in, you know, getting my, myself started in this space. And even as an undergraduate in animal science, you kind of hear this negative stigma about advocacy and, and lobbying particularly. And yet when you think about it, we all are part of a special interest group. It could be your church. It could be Girl Scouts. It can be your child's, you know, sports team. And certain, certainly an, agri an agricultural advocacy group is, is the thing that I have been able to really sink my teeth into. And so I think just sort of figuring out from the storytelling perspective of we've got to stand up and not be afraid when people come at us or there's misinformation spoken, how do you do a better job of, of getting into that space and advocating on, on behalf of you and people that you care about. And so it was completely accidental for me. I mean, I needed to do an internship to complete my graduate work. And so it was a, a fantastic opportunity. I don't think I ever envisioned that it would turn into what it has for me. And so I, I think it's just been a really cool side effect of being in the right place at the right time. You touched a little bit on the importance of, you know, telling our story and not letting someone else tell that for us. And I feel like farmers and ranchers have heard that for years now. Do you think producers are becoming more confident in sharing their stories and more willing to do that? Absolutely. And I actually, I was thinking, as I said that just a few minutes ago, that I notice I'm not, I'm not the best or the most adept at social media followings or advocating on social media, but I notice more and more the hashtag advocate or other people getting into the space of advocating for agriculture. And I think we realize we're in such a unique position with a growing population that we need to both feed and educate and we've got so many different issues coming at us that we need to try to think differently and sometimes do differently. And, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say it's sort of a new ignited passion because of the fact that I am married to Tom and have the unique and incredible opportunity to be alongside so many college students because they are such a breath of fresh air in the fact that they are so much more confident to speak up and, they take that information back to their parents and their operations. And so I definitely feel like we are seeing really good advocacy and it can only get better in my opinion. But I think, I think people do, I think they do a really good job and probably a better job than they have done because they know it's so important right now to do. Absolutely. Can you share Laura a little bit about your role with the Nebraska department of agriculture and what that looks like? Absolutely. So it's a, it's a newer role. It has been a kind of evolving role, which I've, I've enjoyed and appreciated having some flexibility. And so my title with the department is legislative coordinator. So I, I basically coordinate all of our state legislative portfolio and I have the chance to interact with the executive branch with the governor's office and the policy office to forward the the things that we think are important for Nebraska agriculture also get the chance to interface with the different commodity groups, whether they're grains, 
ethanol, um, cattlemen, farm bureau, any of the, any of the groups like that. So a lot of the, the friendships and relationships I had the chance to make when we moved here 10 years ago and in working with the cattlemen, uh, I've had the, I've had the chance to continue to work with those people. So, um, I've been there for just a couple of years and, you know, it's an interesting, I think a lot of people see it as a, oh, wow, you work for the Department of Agriculture, which is incredible. Agriculture is the number one industry in the state of Nebraska. And we're very fortunate to, you know, one in four jobs come from agriculture and we have a huge impact on the state's economy. And so um, that's been really great. And I think the relationships that I was fortunate to get to start with some of the other opportunities I've had here, I've been able to just continue to grow in the department. But we are engaged at the state legislature during the legislative session and even outside of the session to advocate for policies that are important to us as a department and to the industry as a whole. We certainly like to hear from our industry partners when things are going on. And I was, I was just joking with someone recently that, you know, my, my job when I was hired was sort of other tasks as necessary. So I've also been fortunate to in the, the COVID world. And I anticipate in the, um, as, as things continue to move through this space, you know, obviously there's so many moving parts with grants out there with um, interaction from all kinds of different programs and opportunities for producers. I've really been able to get in and, and talk to, you know, policymakers across the country, not just in the state of Nebraska to hear what other departments of agriculture are doing for their, their folks in their state or to, you know, think about what can we do to offer more assistance or is there a real need we see here? And so that's been an interesting thing for me to kind of figure that path out with the other leadership in our department. So um, it's, it's been a really neat experience that I, I will be really thankful that I've had as I, you know, continue to move through it and, and on to other things down the road too, to just be able to have had this step in the way. It was my first experience actually working for a government agency. So um, I've really learned a lot about that. And I, I think it's all been really good. Yeah. It's kind of interesting to see how like life takes those curves and twists and end up, like you said, in a, in the government agency, never maybe thought that you would end up there and, and the experience that you're having. Oh, absolutely. That is very true. Yes. It's, it's been a, um, I, I feel very, I just feel very lucky to have had the chance to work across a lot of different things. And, um, I tell most people that I meet that I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. So I think that is helpful. It's frustrating sometimes because I'm like, gosh, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And then it's like, oh, but if a cool, if a cool opportunity comes along, I'm not afraid to, to maybe jump in and take it. So, well, Laura, thanks so much for sharing. And we're going to circle back to you, but Tom, I don't want to leave you out either. So you currently serve as the director of the Engler Agribusiness Entrepreneurship Program at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Before we dive into that, can you talk a little bit about your career prior to going to the Engler program? Sure. So um, when I got out of college in um, 1980, I went back to work for my family. That time we had a purebred division and a our commercial division. Um, we're also then and now been in the land business. Um, so I got pretty involved in the purebred cattle side of things, um, had a fair bit of responsibility on the, the commercial cow side as well. But that was a great five years. Farm crisis was well underway and there was a pretty strong um, sense that, you know, having a, a plan B made some sense, but also going and developing a little more expertise and 
and background. So I went back to did, did my master's uh, at Colorado State. Um, and sort of one thing led to another. Um, lots of, you know, just things you don't anticipate, right? That, that just keep moving you along a certain path. Uh, did my PhD there. I had a great, got to work with great faculty, like really great faculty um, in, in that, those educational experiences. Got done with my PhD program or was wrapping it up and, and Texas A&M hired away a guy at Colorado State and the department head was in a jam. He needed somebody to fill the spot. I can still remember David Ames coming down and saying, I'm in a jam. Somebody's got to fill this role. You're the best I've got. You'll have to do. I mean, real vote of confidence. And Dave and I are great friends, but I've, I've never forgotten that conversation. And I spent um, nearly 19 years then at Colorado State um, working in a beef systems group. Had a great experience. I was mentored by a guy named Bob Taylor, who was an extraordinary um, educator, extraordinary cattleman, and, a, and an even finer human being. He encouraged me to, to not be a specialist, but to work in a lot of different areas and learn a lot and be just intensely curious. I think by the time I was done there, I'd published maybe with uh, people in 13 different departments. And I mean, just crazy, just crazy stuff. And I just crazy enough to go try all that stuff. Um, but, you know, you hit a point and, you know, I think you can stay too long at a place and you, you start to institutionalize and you start to, you know, get grumpy about things that, that you probably shouldn't be grumpy about. And, and it was just kind of a time for a change. And so I uh, was fortunate Bo Reagan and then Mandy Carr at NCBA called up and said, look, you know, uh, we're looking for cheap help. Uh, and uh, so I went to NCBA, spent about five years on the staff there working with the producer education program, beef quality assurance, doing a lot of work sort of as a researcher and, and subject matter expert for the DC team, uh, developed, a, had a great relationship with Colin Woodall and his team in DC and, and loved that part of it. I was also in the midst of all that, you know, doing some consulting, writing, doing a lot of public speaking, you know, I guess maybe like Laura, I was born to talk. Um, and so, you know, all, all of them great experiences uh, and, you know, through all of the different things I've got to do, I think as I look back on my career, all of it was designed to put me in the right place at the right time to lead the program at the University of Nebraska. Can you talk a little bit, Tom, about what attracted you to the program and, and kind of how those experiences, like you said, put you in the right place at the right time? So the Angler program, um, of course, was founded through a, uh, the vision and gift of, uh, the Paul, of Paul Angler and through his foundation, the Paul and Virginia Angler um, Foundation in Amarillo. Um, he made a very sizable um, investment. Um, some people taught, say donation. I said, no, you, you don't know Paul very well. Um, it was an investment. And, and literally, it was. I think his vision was, could we recreate a generation of Paul Anglers and J.R. Simplots and those who said, look, we're going to just, we're going to carve something out of this wilderness and we're going to make something happen. And Nebraska is the perfect place to do that because Nebraska's are, Nebraskans are makers. They've been making things and creating value under the radar for generations. And so I was attracted here 
partly by Paul's vision, the chance to build a program. Um, you know, even though the, the, I was two years after the gift, you know, a guy named Mark Gustafson had done a really good job of sort of laying some foundation of trying to figure out the curriculum, fighting some of the administrative battles that I didn't have to fight, which I'm forever thankful for. But to come here and build something and, and to do it in service to the people of Nebraska and to really, I, I was, I, I, I'll be honest, I'd gotten frustrated with the loss of vision for land grant universities. And this was an opportunity to take an old idea, right? The, 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 the really that traces all the way back to the founders of this country that education for the sons and daughters of working class and blue collar and craftsmen and tradesmen and agriculturalists, that that was every bit as important, if not more important than educating the, the children of the elites. This was a chance to take that land-grant university vision and put it into practice in a modern and a contemporary way. And, and it, was, it was absolutely, it made no sense, right? It, it, like this was, there was no, nobody, nobody done it, we, but it was a chance to take everything I'd learned, everything I'd had a chance to be part of, all the great people who had worked so hard to help me grow up and learn and mature and develop as a professional and to be able to bring that network and, and all of that to bear to serve people here was, it was just awesome. And it was a little bit challenging to say, okay, I'm going to pick, you know, and to Laura's credit, she was willing to come because, you know, we walked away for, for her, we walked away from a really great opportunity she had in, in Colorado and and she had a great relationship with Danny Williams and that was a great firm and um, but we came out here to to serve people here and and it but actually when we interviewed that first interview the I think we made it very clear that Laura was an important part of how we were going to do this and that we were going to not only focus on the professional development of young people but we were also going to develop and grow on them as human beings and Laura has been an absolute champion and, and really gets an awful lot of credit for the good things that have happened in the Anglo program. We'll dive into that a little bit too, but Tom, can you talk a little bit about, you know, you've obviously had a front row seat to building the program. Like you talked about, how has the program evolved since it started a little more than a decade ago? Well, so the very first, when I actually checked into my first office, they had taken a storeroom and found a surplus desk, put a phone on it and said, okay, stinky, get after it, right? And that was pretty much the start. I mean, we were in a building that they said, like, we're going to tear this building down. And, and so don't get too used to it. And um, they did eventually tear it down. We're in brand new, a brand new facility today. But we spent 10 years in a, in a great old building and, and with, and, and our first graduation event um, at the end of the year, the first spring I was there. Um, we ordered in barbecue. We sat out on a picnic bench outside the East Campus Library at the Arboretum, ate barbecue, and there were probably nine people there. Um, you know, this last year when we did our senior celebration, it was a packed house. You know, Paul Angler front and center, um, and, and one of the most, uh, you know, it was just, it was a phenomenal night because our program in the midst of, of COVID refused to, to go silent. We, we stayed live for almost the entire duration of that. We kept serving students. We kept really 
living the values of our program. And, and, and this program though was not built by me. This program was built by a great staff and a great team, but most importantly, this was built by the vision of students who bought into the notion that the American dream was possible and that that was not passe and it was not silly and it was not something to be decried by those who see the world through an entitlement lens. And we just said, we're gonna build and we attract people to that. The, the people who get involved with us, they come almost as if blessings in the night who just buy into this. And so the credit for everything that's happened here that's really great and good belongs to our students, our alums, uh, and the friends of the program who were so gracious in helping us build this. I just say, so we interviewed Hannah Esch, who went through the Engler program on the podcast earlier this year. And just in some of my uh, looking at the Engler program online and some of the other young people who have come through the program, the caliber of students that you have attracted and the things that they are doing is remarkable. And it's really impressive. And and I, I can't imagine how invigorating it is to be around those students and, and interact with them and their ideas. Yeah, one wants to have their track shoes on when you show up at this place. <laughs> I bet it. I bet it keeps you keeps you young and and just like I said, invigorated and excited about the future for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't. Uh, I think anybody who comes into our community into our realm, that's the thing they always leave with is they can't get over the energy and the capacity and the the commitment. Because that's that at the end of the day, this is not easy. Like starting a company or even even thinking about starting a company, that's it's an uncomfortable place. And and frankly, it, it's ha- it's working in Nebraska because the depth of work ethic in this state is just phenomenal. You touched a little bit on starting a business and being an entrepreneur. Obviously, um, there's risks involved. How do you inspire and motivate students, Tom, to take risks and pursue those dreams? I think really what we do is we help provide an environment that gives people permission to let out what's deep inside them already. And we work really hard early from a, from a big picture perspective, we work really hard to create a a customized educational experience for people. And, and, and it goes far beyond education. It's an immersion experience in entrepreneurship. And we meet people where they are because we get we get students who will show up as as 18 year olds that have got to go in business. And the last thing we need to do is get in the way of that. We need to help them grow it from where it is, not go backwards. But our whole focus is around mindset first, develop the mindset of the entrepreneur. And we think that's possible with far more people than than maybe even the conventional wisdom would say. Uh, the second thing that we do then is we give them immersion experiences so they can test entrepreneurship without a lot of risk financially, but they can make all the mistakes with a $50 investment that you actually would make with a million dollar investment. So we do, we lose, if we lose money, it's 50 bucks instead of a million, which is a lot easier for everybody to swallow. And then we grow, we grow the opportunity and we let people test. We are, we are unafraid of failure. We believe in setbacks. We think it all learning is based on trying. We start before we're ready and, and we, we don't operate like, to be frankly, we're not an academic program. What we are is we are a community of builders and makers, totally committed to purpose, set down in the middle of the land grant university system where we're the 
the intersection, the roundabout, if you will, where people of various backgrounds, talents, perspectives, and skills can come together with one unifying belief, and that's that their purpose is best lived by writing the script for their own lives and starting things. And it's a, a culture that's now, I think, pretty well established, and uh, it's phenomenal. You, you come here and you see a lot of just activated, take charge, ownership, um, and you know, my job is pretty much to make sure the trash gets taken out and the cardboard gets recycled. Well, it certainly sounds like an amazing culture. Um, but beyond that, obviously, you know, when it comes to to launching your own business and some of that, like we talked about the risks involved, but it sounds like the Imgler program is a safe place for those students to learn and, and that mistakes, they're going to happen. Um, but how you kind of react to that and, and build from that is kind of sounds like is, is one of the things that you help them figure out. Yeah, the failure is a, you know, it's a funny thing in, in American culture. I mean, we, we have this weird relationship with failure and we've kind of embraced the notion that you fail forward, fail fast, fail cheap, dot, 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 learn like crazy and go again. Um, and it's the sort of the, it's the old, you know, um, cowboy thing, right? If you get bucked off, get up and get back on, um, be a little smarter the next time you get on. And I think we were, we're fortunate to be in a place where that's embraced and it's, uh, and, and, and it's amazing. We, we attract kids from, and young people from very diverse backgrounds to what we do, multicultural, all kinds of, of life experiences and perspectives, but they're unified in this notion that the highly motivated person tied to a great team with the belief that a better tomorrow is possible through hard work, investment, and self-sacrifice, that that's the path. And it's awesome to, to hang out with them. Tom, where did your passion for, you know, working with students and, and just growing alongside of them come from? Um, I'm, you know, I'm not really sure about that. I have two grandmothers that were teachers. So I, I, and I, I was lucky. I had pretty much all the way through my public school education, there was always at exactly the right time, the right teacher. And they, they had an impact on me. And when I got to the university, I had great mentors and I was surrounded by people in the cattle business who were deeply curious people. Um, Bart and Mary Strang at Strang Herefords in, in Meeker, Colorado, were absolutely instrumental in growing me as a, as a thinker. Um, Bart, you know, was a graduate of Princeton and, and was a, a lover of history. And, and he had a library that he was kind of the Thomas Jefferson of Western Colorado, as far as I was concerned. And, you know, just people... I just I just kept getting exposed to people like that. You know, I had a great friendship with Randy Block, who would you know, Cattlefax, who just drove you to keep thinking and exploring. And so I, you know, I don't know. I, I think you know we, as a person of faith, I, I think we ask God to use us where He wants to use us, and um, He's chosen this for me, and I'm grateful. Tom, what do you think it looks, the future looks like for young people who have big ideas and want to leave their mark on the agriculture industry or, or really any industry, I guess? I think we're in a, a, an era of such you know, rapid technological change and, and 
but, but also at a time when the fundamentals have never mattered more, uh, when principled entrepreneurship has never mattered more than it does today. So I think the future is bright. And I think one of the things that we all have to do, my generation and older, is we have to make sure that we are encouraging young people to try to think, to, to give it a, a new look, to be creative. We, we want to we just support that over and over and over again. And then behind the scenes, we want to fight like crazy to preserve a government and a way of life and a policy process that actually enables them to live out the opportunity. Because if you want employees, you have to have employers. And those employers need to generate real value in communities. So our overall vision is we're going to build people who build businesses that build communities. That's the core. And so I think there's huge opportunity in that. And I think the, 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 big, the big weapon that we've got to wield is that, that ax that fights against cynicism and the loss of hope. Um, and then secondly, we have to have the grit and determination. And you know, thank goodness for people like Laura, who will fight to make sure that policy is rational, sensible, and workable. Um, we need good government. We need government but we need it to be aligned with vision. So that's my, that's my hope for the future is that we'll be adults in the room, we'll build a, a system that, and, and, and sustain a system that gives young people a chance to actually fly. As you were talking about that, I was just thinking about Laura's role in public policy and Laura, kind of what does that look like for you, you know, when you maybe have these conversations with Tom and in the future for these students and, and the battles that are maybe going on um, in the government what do some of those conversations look like or how does does Tom's involvement and your involvement with Ingler kind of impact what you do on a day-to-day basis? I think so. I mean, I'm very fortunate to have the chance to interact with college students, whether it's Tom's students or, you know, an advanced ag economics public policy class that a professor will call and say, hey, could you talk to our students or just young people that walk through the Capitol who are thinking about running for office someday and, you know, Tom probably will not laugh about it because I'm sure he gets tired of it. I come home many nights exasperated about the frustrations of the conversations I have some days. And yet, again, I go back to over and over that there's never been a more important time to tell the story. And so I'm not the only one who can tell it. And frankly, me telling it is great, but me opening the door for someone else to tell it for themselves is even more important. If I can bring a Hannah Esch to the Capitol and tell her story about being a college student who started a beef business who sells beef to all 50 states, then that's amazing. That's so much more impactful for Hannah to tell that story, but I'm happy to tell it on her behalf if she can't be there. And so I think that's finding that mix, but also just looking for those opportunities to be encouraging. Um, you know, and I tell people all the time, I've never wanted to run for office or serve in those roles, but I encourage people who are civic minded to do it because we need, we need those voices around the table. So earlier on, Tom talked about Laura, the role that you also have with the Angler students and you touched on it just a little bit, but can you talk a little bit more about the opportunities that you have to interact with the Angler students and, and to invest in them as well? So it's a, it's a real joy in our lives. And I think I'm, I'm lucky Tom always talks about how 
I come alongside him and I think it is fair to say that we came to Nebraska as a package deal. Tom and I both knew Ronnie Green outside of our marriage. I, I actually had Ronnie as a professor when I was a college freshman and Tom's known Ronnie for years. And so it was nice for us to rebuild that relationship. But I think when we came here, that was that was everybody's understanding. And so um, Tom lets me in as much as I push my way in. So I appreciate that opportunity. But it is an invaluable thing for us. They, these students are part of our family. Um, we see them often as our children. They certainly are helping us raise our children. We want our children to be like them when they grow up. Um, our kids talk about Engler all the time. And I think it makes it, it makes it easier for us to embrace and love the program because it means so much to us. Um, I, I wrote a post on my Instagram in April when we had the Engler celebration. Our little girl was walking hand in hand with Paul Engler to go sit at his table. And as I stood and took the picture, I thought to myself, you know, Engler brought us to Nebraska. Um, the first year, the first winter we were here, we had a, a Christmas party for the students to come over and, you know, they, the kids walk in the door. I have these two infants and all night long, they're passing them around. And I never thought one second about it. You know, I had kids in my kitchen telling me about their mothers going through cancer treatments and their dads raising horses and their brothers and sisters getting married. And I just thought, wow, what a lucky person I am to get to hear these students. And every year I get so excited when school starts and a new group of students come in. Um, I know that they're going to be, you know, etching their stories on our lives and, you know, for what little bit we give back to them, they give it to us 10 times in return. I mean, we are so fortunate to be able to share their stories. And my heart just gets so full at their senior celebrations every year when their parents come over and give us a hug and say, you've made a difference in my kid's life. And their parents just don't know how much of a difference they make in our lives. And so I just, I feel so fortunate. Um, Tom can tell you we've had, um, we've had some sometimes heated conversations because, you know, Tom will be busy or he'll have a late night meeting and he'll come home and, you know, we're balancing out all the things going on. And I'll say, well, yes, I understand that because that's important to me or they're important to me. And so I think if it, if it didn't matter, it'd be easy to just be like, yep, this is just a job. We're just going through the motions, but, and we just are so thankful for the chance to get to be part of their lives and that they look to us and, you know, they want to come up to our house and hang out or they want to come for a walk in the country or something. And it's just a really, really, really cool opportunity that we've been given a chance to be a part of. I can just so relate to everything that you were saying, <laughs> probably not to the scale, but I'm, so my husband's an ag teacher. And so those kids just become your kids kind of by default and getting to, to interact with them and watch them grow over, you know, whatever time period of time that you have with them. And um, we have two little boys and watching those kids interact with them. And they really do, like you said, just kind of become part of your family. And um, as much as you may be impacting them, they're really impacting you and giving you excitement for the future and, and what that looks like for them. So that's really neat just to hear you talk yeah. about it. I can so relate. Well, and I think all of us as parents and, you know, when you asked Tom the question about how he became a, a teacher or how he became interacting with students, um, I mean, Tom won't, he won't say this about himself, but he's an extraordinary father. And so we have this unique family of, of three kids in their twenties and thirties and two or nine. 
and our kids love each other in really neat ways, but you know, Tom doesn't miss sporting events and he doesn't miss recognition ceremonies or opportunities when kids are buying houses. And so I think he probably got most of his comeuppance in that as a dad, but I think being able to have these students be part of your family too, just, it just makes it so rewarding. And we hear our little kids telling stories about Engler all the time. And we just laugh because we think, gosh, I mean, it's been their whole lives and they were born in Nebraska. They were, they were born as little Engler babies. And so, you know, we just are, we just think it's fun. And I, you know, I'm sure that you see that value. I think it's great. I, I think about the transformations of my FFA teachers and so cool that you get to go through that too. And that your husband does, that's really, really so powerful. So uh, Laura, you can touch on this or Tom, you can, can jump in too, but how do you, you know, as a, as career-minded people, as, um, you know, a mom and a dad, how do you balance all of it, you know, with, with your kids and with your careers and when with college students and all of that, how do you balance it all? Not very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so I'll go first. I was going to say, if Tom didn't say it first, I was going to jump in and, um, and say that we make a lot of mistakes. One of our favorite things when Tom has students who are getting married or we have somebody come to us for advice, we always say, gosh, we mess it up all the time. Um, and we, we, we don't do it well all the time, but I think we, um, make a lot of space for forgiveness and for, uh, understanding and still spend plenty of time being, um, frustrated and upset. And yet I I think it's, it's an important thing for us to model real life. Um, I tell, especially the young women in Tom's program that, my life, I don't know if my life looks like what I thought it would look like in my mid forties. I know in my thirties, it didn't look like what I thought it would look like. And I think that is something that is, you have to learn to be okay with and not, not okay in a settling way. I think it is oftentimes when you think a challenge is put in your path and you can't overcome it, all of a sudden you realize it was better on the other side. And so I'm so thankful that we, I feel like I say thankful all the time, but I really do think like things that I used to think would be a challenge have turned into really great opportunities. And so we talk about it a lot. We're very real. If people ask us, you know, tell us a little bit about your story or tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got through this. We just are very honest about it. And I think, you know, a couple mornings a week, I put the kids on the bus and a couple mornings a week, Tom puts the kids on the bus. And I have tried really hard to work with my jobs. Um, I learned very early being a stay-at-home mom was probably not the, the, the thing that I was going to be really good at. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and I am so thankful for that, but I just didn't thrive in that way. And so I've been fortunate to work with my bosses who've said, look, we know being home to pick the kids up from the bus is important. And um, thankfully, we have a gob of college students that are back in call that I can call and say, I'm running late. Can you please go to my house and meet the kids after school? And so... Um, talking about it and, and being okay. I think Tom's lessons that he teaches his students about failure is that you can do it and you can still be okay. And so, um, we're in it together and, um, that's, that's helpful, even though sometimes we, we get it all wrong. So yeah, I don't know, Tom, how you want to top that, but I just wanted to say first, we don't get it right all the time. (laughs) I think I'll just second the motion and, and uh, Laura described it really well. So 
And I, I appreciate, you know, your honesty and, and like you said, your willingness to just tell people how it is or to be really truthful with them. Cause I think in a day and age when life can look so glamorous on social media and we can make it look however we want, people need, people need the truth or they need people who are willing to, to share the hard stuff and, and to just be honest about their true experiences. Cause life isn't always what it looks like on social media or. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And I think I, I've told a number of, of people who've asked us to, I think I'm not a quitter and Tom's not a quitter. And so we live in a world where it's often easier to walk away than work it out. And so um, that's part of it too, for us is that we're going to figure it out. Um, it may take us a little bit of time and I am completely confident in being Laura Field, but I'm also very confident in being Tom Field's wife. So I go somewhere in Nebraska and I'll introduce myself and they'll say, do you know Tom Field? And used to, I would roll my eyes and be like, yes, of course I know Tom Field. <laughs> but I also have really learned that there is there's strength in both identities. And I am that person on both sides of that equation. And so I think it is great to be yourself and it's great to be a partner with someone. And so, um, and that, it took me a long time to learn that. And so I think to help young people learn to bring out the best in each other and work through those hard times and don't just walk away when it gets harder. Like you said, when it's not the glamorous picture on social media, it's, it's not always like that. And, um, and yet it's still really beautiful and wonderful at the same time. I, I guess like my next question would be what piece of advice would you give to young people? Obviously we've talked a lot about your interactions with young people. Um, so, you know, if you would both be willing to share maybe one piece of advice that you would share with young people. You're going to go first, Tom. Um, yeah. So I'm just thinking about that. I've, I've, it's a hard one um, because each kid, each person, each student, each young adult is a, at a different place and a different stage. I think in light of where we're at today, the advice I would give is number one, stick to the fundamentals. They, they haven't changed the fundamentals of professionalism, of being honorable and decent, et cetera. Those things are valuable. They were valuable 200 years ago. They'll be valuable 200 years from now. Uh, and then the second thing is, is don't let your doubt or someone else's doubt get in the way of what you might try. It doesn't matter whether you win the first time. It does not matter. What matters, what's the most honorable thing is the courageous and sincere attempt. And the sooner we can get back to that as a country um, and celebrate those and not just decry those who get off the sidelines and are actually in the game, um, I think the better off we'll be. And so I, I hope we keep that, those two things fundamental for, uh, for, you know, I think about Kate and Coleman, our little kids and our big three, if, if they can have those things in mind, um, the fundamentals matter and uh, get in the game and give it, play the game. Um, the, there's more joy to be found in the struggle than the safety of the sideline. Great advice. Laura, what about you? Yeah, I think that a couple of things that I really think about, number one, surround yourself with people who are going to lift you up when you need lifting up and laugh with you and cry with you. Um, I think it takes a community to get through some of the challenges. Um, that we all face. And I also think it is so important that when, when something happens, it's not what you expected or your life goes a different way. It's okay. There's probably a reason. So hang in there and, and don't give up or get frustrated just because it doesn't go the way that you thought it would. Um, I think if we, 
the more I talk to people, I realize that that more people have that interact, more people have that happen to them than maybe I always thought. Like, you know, I thought sometimes it was just me who things weren't working out for, but gosh, if things had worked out the way I thought they would, my life would look so much different and I really love my life. And so I'm glad that sometimes they didn't work out. So surround yourself with a community of supporters. And um, if it doesn't work out, there's probably a reason. So keep on going forward. To kind of round out things. One of the questions I ask all of the guests on the podcast is to talk about a trailblazer in your life and what has made them a trailblazer and how they've kind of impacted your life. So if you would, wouldn't mind both of you sharing about someone. Yeah. So this one was the one that stumped me. And I, I first thought about what is a trail trailblazer. And to me, it's just someone who like will plow through and take no prisoners, just go for it and don't let anybody tell, you no. And I don't want to steal Tom's thunder and I don't want to seem cliche, but I thought back about this when we first came here to interview for the Engler job. I thought back to when I first started grad school, I was in a class that we were asked to identify two leaders of the beef industry. And then we had to call them and interview them. And the two that I called and interviewed were Paul Engler and Paul Janot. And I was fascinated with Paul Engler for many years for a lot of different reasons. But um, I still had my interview notes from my discussion with Paul when we came here. And I think when I got to meet Paul and hear his story of being a 10-year-old who went to an auction market and bought cattle with no money and went home and told his dad what he had done. Um, it's so fantastic. And so I think Paul like epitomizes trailblazing. And I, again, I don't want to sound cliche because we get to be the benef- benefactors of the great Paul Engler. Um, and I've thought too about it. Like I've got so many family members who, you know, left their comfort zones to go do great things. But um, gosh, I really think just in general about trailblazing and just being willing to go for it and not be afraid. And I think it's, um, it's really fantastic. So I don't know how helpful that is, but that I, I've had that thought all afternoon. I couldn't get it out of my head. I, that's neat. I, I think it's cool. Just like it kind of comes full circle, like for you, yes. like you talked about. So I think that's neat. Yeah. So it's a hard question because there's, I've been really blessed to have so many really unique people in my life from, uh, from spectrum, everything from, from artists and athletes to musicians and entrepreneurs and scientists and all of that. And so, you know, I could go on and on and on, but, but there's a, there's a group that actually, I think as a kid had a really big impact on me. And I was really lucky to be in a community where I was surrounded by like really good cowboys. I mean, really good cowboys, stockmen, uh, men and women of honor, um, of, of conviction, and, and, a, and, a, and a core just made of, of the greatest materials you could imagine, right? And, and none of them famous, um, except on every outfit they've ever worked on, um, but always there to offer not only encouragement, but also challenge to, to hold you to a standard. Um, and so, you know, I, I think about all the cowboys that I've interacted with in my life. And, and you know, I'll be honest, um, I would hope at the end of my life that some would say that I was the equal of those guys. Yeah, I think oftentimes the, the people who have the greatest impact on us aren't the people who are, you know, maybe as well known or, you know, have that notoriety, but they're the people who are there day in and day out 
just doing their job, whether they've been asked to or not going above and beyond and, and doing it, like you said, with honor and integrity. Well, Tom and Laura, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I have truly enjoyed our conversation and just visiting with both of you and your insights and experiences in the industry. And I think we could talk for, for a lot longer, but I just really appreciate your insights and your willingness to participate. So thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Thanks for having us. I enjoyed it very much. As with all guests on the trailblazing podcast, I enjoy hearing what has led them to where they are today. And Tom and Laura are no different. Tom and Laura each have a unique story, and I think it's neat how they share experiences of being in the right place at the right time, and how that impacted the trajectory and direction of their lives. Their shared passion for investing in the students enrolled in the Angler program is remarkable, and those students are fortunate to have two individuals who are so committed to their success. Thanks again for joining me for today's episode of Trailblazing in Agriculture, featuring Tom and Laura Field. Join me again next time as the journey to highlight more trailblazers in agriculture continues.